Welcome to Gardening Talk, back on 2NURFM. Greg Richard here with Scott Sharp once again. Great to see you again, Scott. Great to see you. Three degrees, that's chilly. The plants are going to have to have a little beanie or mittens on. A blanket over them or something. A little hot water bottle for them. (laughs) What have you got for us today, Scott? Well, I thought uh, we'd talk about the calendula flower. I love it. I love the smell of it. Right. It's got other sort of things that can help you in your cooking as well. Uh, Lavender and another tasty plant, the fennel bulb. The fennel bulb. Fennel bulb. I love a good fennel. Right. Roasted, all sorts of things. And we've got Julie from Womberall, and she's got a question about the frangipani. Good afternoon, Julie. How can we help you? Um, hi, Scott. I've been given some cuttings from a frangipani tree. When do I stick them in the ground? Yeah, it's getting towards that time to uh, to dry them out and put them in the ground. All the frangipanis around town, they've all lost their leaves by now. Uh, I've got one called frangipani lulu at my place. It's a shorter growing one. Uh, it seems to lose its leaves about three months before the next door neighbour's one. So there's heaps of different varieties and they all lose their leaves at different times. Uh, but if you want to start propagating them, yeah, now is the time. Uh, so you've got those cuttings. How long have they dried out now, Julie? Two days. Okay, probably just let's leave them for a little bit longer than that. Uh, mind you, I have in the past just cut frangipani and stuck it straight in the soil and it does grow. But the uh, the rule of thumb, though, is to let it dry out for, you know, 7 to 14 days. Uh, you know, stick it in a dry spot, you know, in the garage, under the house, something like that, where it's not going to get wet from any rain we might get. And uh, after that time, yeah, you can just plump them in the ground if you want to plump them in the ground I think that's a very technical term I just used then uh, or you can put them into potty mix as well if you want to okay how big, how deep do I put them in the ground yeah so how how big are the cuttings that you've got now oh they're a good size um, they're probably two and a half foot two and a half foot stretching that's about almost a meter I reckon uh, look I'd probably put a third of that into the ground Okay. Now, the problem with that is you might have to stake it to stop it wobbling around as well. So uh, that's just something you have to be aware of. People often, you know, they you hear stories about people uh, getting huge, big, you know, sort of almost branches of frangipanis given to them from, uh, you know, someone who, who's needed to prune their tree. And you can just plump those in the ground as well. There's that term again. But uh, the thing with that is you have to stake them really well at least for 12 months to stop them moving around uh, just because of the sheer weight. Uh, with yours, uh, if it's only a smaller piece, uh, you know, I reckon by January or February you could probably take that stake out and uh, let it uh, go by itself. So they've got some uh, side shoots before a third. Do I cut those off? So that I've got a straight stem in or leave them on? Oh, look, you could just leave those on. I wouldn't be concerned about that. So it doesn't matter if it goes in a V? It won't no, cause no, 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 no. The roots, the the roots will just naturally come out of the, out of the bottom of that uh, cutting. Good. Yeah. Thank you very much. Plants are wonderful things, especially when you plump them in the ground. <laughs> Oh, yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for that, Bye. Julie. And when it's in there, just water it normally as well. I forgot to tell you that part of it. Oh, yeah, don't okay. don't yeah. fertilise. Just give it some water, you know, every uh, week or so, um, you know, maybe twice a week. And uh, it will start to, uh, yeah, get uh, roots and uh, new shoots coming out and off you'll go. Okay. I was going to put it in a pot to start it off. So I need a fair size if I'm going to put it. Plump it. Yeah, you wouldn't. You would. Oh no, no, that's a completely different term when you're putting it into potting mix. You don't plump into potting mix. <laughs> uh, Why? With, with potting mix, I'd be inclined to leave it in there because what, probably then until March, April next year, because you're then going to want to try and you know get it out of that pot. 
and you can do the damage to the root system by repotting. So if you're going to have it in a pot, I'd probably leave it in a touch longer. But yes, you would need a, a larger pot to stop it from toppling over. Yep, not a problem. Okay, okay. thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bye. Julie. Have a nice afternoon. You too. So we've got Gary from Mount Hutton, and he's got some problems with his lemon trees. Gary, tell us about your lemon trees. Yes, good morning, sir. Um, I just wanted to find out I have two lemon trees. One is a Eureka, and the other one is a Lemonade Lemon. Yes. And both are very rangy on each side. Uh, it's good fruit, uh, fairly prolific, but uh, they, as I said, they're just ranging out, probably about three, four metres on either side and uh, and going up. I just don't know what and where to trim them uh, without sort of damaging uh, probably next year's fruit. Yeah, so the position you've got them in, Gary, is it a, a sunny position or are they getting some, you know, sort of dappled light through trees? That's I'm wondering why they're going out and getting a bit rangy on you. No, no, that's a fairly good um, uh, full sun that they get. Uh, I guess behind, say, the lemonade tree, it is more towards the uh, south side and um, that doesn't get all that much sun but there's dapper light through the uh, tree itself. Mm -hmm. The lemon, the Eureka one, has the same problem but that is also in full sun almost. So, as I said, they're rangy. I don't know whether they cut off the good roots because they produce a fairly, not the roots, the limbs, they produce a fairly good uh, uh, crop. Uh, what can you tell me about cutting them? Yeah, look, you, you, you are going to have to bite the bullet with them at some point in time and give them a cutback. Uh, look, the great thing about citrus trees is that their their fruiting and flowering is always on the new growth. So once you cut it back down to size, anything that starts to grow next season, you'll be fine. You'll you'll get you know plenty of fruit off them. So don't be concerned about that. Uh, you said they're about three to four meters tall. Now, you could almost probably you know halve halve the height of those if you wanted to. Uh, now the mate, you can you can be quite almost indiscriminate when you're pruning a, a citrus tree. It's no great uh, you know sort of technical skill to do it. The uh, most important thing, though, is to go and get a product called SteriPrune, uh, which seals up the limbs and stops any pest and disease getting into the uh, into the limbs of the tree where you've actually pruned it. Okay, SteriPrune. Yeah, so you can get so that. So you put that on after you cut it. Yeah, you? you certainly do. You can get that as a, a an aerosol pack, or you can get it in a, just a little tin as well, and you can paint it on. Uh, it can also be helpful as well when down around the trunk of the tree. You know, sometimes the bark starts to get older and split down there. So if you want to, you can also paint it around the bark, uh, you know, if there's any splits or cuts down there, just to protect it and stop pest and disease getting in. So, yeah, look, you really uh, it's probably going to be time. You're just going to have to go for it uh, with your lemon trees and mm. give them a good cut back. They're such a tough plant, though. They're going to come back for you, so don't be concerned about that. Uh, once you've done that pruning, make sure they're well watered as well just to sort of spring them back into some new growth. And any uh, fertiliser? Look, yeah, time. not not at first. I'm always of the mindset that you should wait after pruning before you fertilise, just water, and then usually, you know, a month to six weeks afterwards, then you can give it some fertiliser. You just want that new growth to have come through and started to harden up a little bit before you start fertilising, and that fertiliser goes up through the plant and can potentially burn any soft new growth. Okay. All right, well, that sounds pretty good. I'll uh, try that. Unfortunately, I don't particularly want to do that to mm -hmm. cut off the, the, the rangy ones because 
that also is producing some good fruit. But I'll give it a go and see how we uh, we go and uh, not do that. But I thank you very much, sir. Yeah, that's a little. And Gary, you can just leave until that uh, fruiting and flowering's you know finished for you, and then give it oh. the prune back. And that's the general rule of thumb as well. So if it is getting a bit rangy, just accept that at the moment. Once it's finished fruiting, then go and do the cutback. And uh, remember, with citrus, they're pretty heavy feeders, so you need to be feeding them about three to four times a year. Uh, they really like poultry manure, and they also like that uh, granular citrus food uh, that you can get, and you sprinkle that around. Uh, there's also a product called Sudden Impact, which is fantastic for roses, but very good for citrus trees as well. It's slow release, so if you've got them in a pot, if anyone out there's got a, a citrus tree in a pot, Sudden Impact's very good for that. Okay, I'll try that. So that would, for both Eureka, lemonade would not have... Uh a problem using any of these uh, items? No, definitely not. Uh, for you, I'd just be getting a bag of poultry manure. It's nice and cheap. Uh, you know, the, the citrus trees really love it. Uh, you can almost dump a bag around each uh, each one and till it in and then water it down into the soil. Oh, that's fine. Thank you very much for your information. Okay. I appreciate it. Not a problem, that. Gary. You have a nice afternoon. You too. Bye-bye. Well, we've got Peter now from Heat and Greeter, and he's well, very similar from the citrus family, Mandarin Tree. Peter, how can we help you with it? Oh, we seem to have lost Peter. This is now Alan from Port Macquarie. <laughs> He's not going to ask about a mandarin tree. Alan, what would you like us to help you with? Uh, well, I'd like you to know whether you have a secret for growing the West Australian plant, the brown baronia, the mega stigma, because I've tried dozens of times. I absolutely love the smell of the plant, but I cannot grow it. Yeah. It just dies. And I don't know what... I do everything it says on the label. I shelter it and I... You know, I have free-draining soil in the pot mix, but it just eventually it just dies, and I don't have any success. Yeah, it, it is a difficult, and I noticed that you're all the way up in Port Macquarie, so yeah. even more humid than down here in Newcastle. Yeah. So you are yeah. going to struggle more and more. You know, the further yeah. north you get, uh, the more humid it gets. You mm. are going to struggle with baronia. Okay, Mate, sounds like you're doing the right thing, though. Uh, you're using mm. a native, you know, a well-drained mix of some sort. Native, well-drained mix. I put it in dappled shade, away from winds, mm. and I do everything that it says. But it just lives for a while, but then it just curls, it curls up and dies. But uh, but I keep buying it. I keep buying it, hoping I'll... <laughs> I love it that much, but anyway. <laughs> the, the only thing you could do is once we get to the humid months is get a, a fungicide of some variety and just give it yep. a preventative spray at that time to see if that helps you out. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. I don't like sandy soil, like sandy. It's got to be free-flowing because it, I think it comes from West Australia and it's sandy soil, but, you know... Uh, yeah, look, it does come from yeah. Western Australia, and, and because it is so sandy and free drained over there, mm. uh, you know, the plants that we bring over here to New South Wales um, into the humidity as well really do struggle. So, uh, look, yeah. all you can do is keep on trying, use a bit of that fungicide as a preventative, and yeah. uh, see how you go with it. I I, I done the next best thing and bought a uh, hundred ml bottle of the of the uh, essence from Western Australia, cost seventy five dollars. Oh no. And a, yeah, absolutely terrific. That's the closest I'm going to get to it, I think. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. The brown baronia is a, uh, does have a stunning smell. It's a really oh, beautiful plant if you can get it going. Absolutely, yes. You can smell it from metres away, you know. You can smell it metres away. Yeah. Terrific. Anyway, thank you very okay. much for your help. Anyway, good luck with it again this year, Alan. Yep, thank you very Cheers. much. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, thanks, Alan. Now we have Peter from Heat and Greeter who's 
the question about the Mandarin tree. He's, he's returned. <laughs> Peter, how can we help you? Hello, Scott. Scott, I haven't had a lot of luck with our Mandarin tree this year. Um, I Nearly all the fruit was being attacked. Um, it was a, the, the bug that was on it was like a mosquito, um, only it was black. Yes. Um, I, I take it it's a fruit fly of some description. Yeah, um, and when they land, they've got this funny little thing they do with their wings. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Good. All right, I've got. I've also got black ants, like black house ants, in the same tree. Yes. Um, so about two meters away from the tree, I have a nectarine tree, and I we, we like I get full fruit on the nectarine tree, and then between the bats and the and the fly, they they take a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I've been told that the fly may actually be in the ground. Um, I, I've had problems with tomatoes in the same area. Um, what should I do to to at least save the fruit on the mandarin fruit. Yeah, mate, it sounds like you've got the, the full trifecta there. You've, you've got the, the stone fruit, you've got the tomato, you've got the mandarin, uh, and fruit fly just love all three of those. So you have to be really diligent to try and keep that fruit fly under control. Uh, look, the trouble is your next-door neighbour can be, you know, not as careful as you are, and they just come in, they smell it, and in they come. So... You need to be both spraying and trapping to keep fruit fly under control. Generally, it's only something that we get here in the, you know, in the warmer spring summer months, but obviously for you it's been around a little bit longer as well and attacking the mandarin now. So, uh, one of the things we suggest uh, about uh, keeping the fruit fly under control is to mix up a little concoction of Vegemite and Malathon. Uh, for it and to put it into a container with some holes in it and then the female fruit fly comes along uh, in there it uh, feasts on the vegemite at the same time it sucks up the uh, the uh, the malathon and the fruit fly dies Uh, you also have to be careful when the fruit's out and it's starting to ripen you need to just go and do some preventative spraying at that time Uh, you can use pyrethrum for that if you want to Uh, you can also use malathon as well to keep the fruit fly under control uh, mate, any fruit that drops down to the ground and sits there rotting, especially with your uh, stone fruit, you have to really be careful and yeah. pick that up. We pick that up every, every day. I, I never leave the fruit on any fruit that hits the ground gets picked up straight away. Um, the, is there is there a, a, a rate for the Vegemite and the Malathon? Uh, no, look, you just mix it up until it becomes a paste. Uh, you know, not not runny, just so that there's a you know enough in there that the fruit fly when they land in that container, uh, they can have a bit of a chomp on it. Right. Okay. All right, thank you very much, Scott. Okay, not a problem, Peter. And look, we do get people ring in and say they have great success with that, but it's one of those things you have to do the two limbs. You have to do the the you know regular spraying and the trapping with the Vegemite. Right, and now all I've got to do is get rid of the bats. I can't comment on those. I think they're probably coming from my place, Carrington. We've got a colony there. I, I, I even I, I even put nets over it. Yep. And and they they rip the nets and it's just it's, yeah. It's yeah. I've heard uh, tales of them getting down on the ground and crawling in under the nets as well. Well, that that, that must be how they're getting in because they get in there and then they rip they rip the net to shreds and then and then all their mates come over for a party. Yeah, yeah, not good, not good. But no. uh, yeah, just try and keep them under control as well. Right, that's lovely. Thanks, Scott. Okay, good Thank on you, you, Peter. Thank you. All right. Can you get a scarecrow for bats? I don't know. It'd have to almost look like the Joker, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to go there. You were. <laughs> It's Gardening Talk back on 2 FM, and we've got John from Annam Bay on the line. He's got a question about citrus. Must be citrus week this week. Hello, John. How can we help you? Oh, good afternoon, Scott. How are you, mate? Yeah, pretty well. 
I'm out here down at Bay in a very sandy soil and uh, I've had a couple, two lemon trees in the ground oh, for a good 18 months. I got smashed by a, a black and orange grub last year, uh, despite the water all that I was putting on it. And um, uh, just looking a bit yellow on the end of the leaves. I'm just worrying about, uh, wondering about fertiliser and how much water. Yeah, up at uh, up in Anna Bay, uh, with it being so sandy, mate, you're going to have to fertilise and, and water quite a lot. Uh, with citrus, I say three to four times a year. Uh, in those conditions, I'll be using poultry manure. Uh, you can also use that granular citrus food as well. Uh, once the fruit sets, that's when you're going to have to be really careful about your watering. Actually, when the flowers set, you're going to have to be really careful about your watering, John, uh, because it'll drop off at the uh, at the drop of a hat um, if it dries out. So you have to be really careful about your watering. Uh, and once the fruit sets, you want it to be nice and juicy. You don't want it to be, to be drying out. So you're going to have to make sure you water really well um, then as, as well. Uh, the, a great thing with citrus you can do is just get one of those little bubbler sprinklers and in the morning, just, you know, sit it there for 20 minutes or so and just let it sort of, you know, very lightly bubble out uh, around the root ball and just keep it nice and moist. Uh, but again, uh, sandy soil, heaps of fertiliser, uh, three to four times a year. And that's every day, a little bubble of water? Well, once, once the fruit sets, yeah, I'd be making sure that it's, it's well watered. The other thing that really hammers citrus trees uh, in October uh, is they settle their blossom and then we get those you know, dry westerly winds coming in. Uh, and at that time, it's important to, uh, you know, actually, if you can, how big's your citrus tree? Yeah, well, I've repotted them from, from the pots into the ground and mm. uh, they haven't fruited it as yet, but... Um yeah, so it's just a trial and error basis for me. I'm still learning. Yeah, so look, yeah. If, if listeners out there have got citrus in pots, once those westerly winds come in, uh, try and protect them um, some way, you know, with a, a sheet or a cloth or, you know, put them on the uh, eastern side of the house so the, the winds don't hammer them so much because uh, you don't want that bud being blown off because as soon as the flower and bud's blown off, then you don't get any fruit. Uh, it just gets minimised. Uh, uh, very important to water as well in those dry westerly winds. That's probably what you're going to have to do, John, uh, just to make sure that it holds as much bud as possible. So they're right to give it fertiliser now with some cow, uh, chicken oh, manure? Yeah, or? absolutely, mate. Give it a, a good feed right now. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Okay, you have a good afternoon. Well, we've got Glenn now from Murrundi, and he's got black soot on his mandarins. Oh, doesn't sound good. Glenn, tell us about it. Uh, Scott, is it? Yes. Hey, good morning, Scott. How are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. Yeah, look, buddy, I'm from Scotts Creek, which is up, well, funny enough, <laughs> not yours. Um, <laughs> How do you know Scotts that, Creek. Glenn? How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Listen, mate, I'm at Scotts Creek, which is out from Murrundi, if you know where that is. Yep, yep. That's in Murrundi, I mean. Um, Mate, I've, I live. I've got my mum and dad's house, and they've passed away. But I'm now in the house, so it's, it's and they've got established fruit trees in the backyard, and one of them's a mandarin tree, and it's only about four metres from the back of the house. Mm. Now it gets for for a few years. It doesn't bore fruit for a few years, and I keep watering it even through the drought, etc., as much as I could. And it's and it, but it's all over the leaves. It's got like I used to think it was the ash coming out of the coming out of the chimney from the um, slow combustion stove. And it, and it seems to be like a black ash all over the leaves. And I, I sort of thought, oh, that's you know, coming, out of the, coming out of the chimney on the house and then just drifting and landing on the leaves of the mandarin tree. But when I spoke to a friend of mine, he, he reckons that it's not. It's a, it's a 
problem that the mandarin trees can get. Would that be right? Yeah, look, your, your friend's um, he's, he's giving you some sage advice there. It is actually a problem that citrus can get. Uh, what you've yeah. got there is called sooty mould, and it's a, a fungal disease. Uh, and it just forms over the leaves of the plant. And then the plant, get because it can't get the sunlight into the leaf, and it just gets sicker and sicker. It can't photosynthesize. And yeah, things that's, just, what he, that's roughly what he said. Yeah, things just start to get worse for you. Now, what, what yeah. happens with sooty mold, though, is it usually comes hand-in-hand hand with scale, and scale's a little insect that forms a waxy shell over the top of itself, and then it uh, sits there and feasts, you know, sucks the sap out of the plant. And that's not so bad when they're, you know, they're only very small. But when you start getting hundreds or thousands, thousands yeah. of them on the plant, then, you know, obviously they do a lot of damage. And the plant just goes into this spiral where, you know, the sooty mold can't get rid of that, can't get rid of the scale. And you've got the result that you have uh, up there um, with your parents' old uh, citrus plants. So what? there's there's, that, there's, uh, two, um, there's two orange trees within four metres mm. of that tree and they don't seem to get it would that be feasible uh look it, it is scale and sooty mold is just carried around by the wind so there's you know no reason they can't uh, you know get it yeah. I'd, I'd be inclined to give your plants a pretty heavy cutback i mean just by your description oh, mate, I've, I've trimmed them that far my mother used to call me mr excess well i've trimmed <laughs> them back a fair a fair way, and, and I've let them regrow because I thought oh, I've probably trimmed them too far. So they've come back, and the two orange trees actually grow fruit, um, even though it's only relatively small. But keep in mind, you're talking to the worst gardener in New South Wales, just oh. not Australia. Um, and uh, they seem to grow fruit where the mandarin tree probably three years ago just stopped. And I yeah. thought it was from the drought, that we've, the major drought we've been through, and now all of a sudden I sort of noticed this, and I just thought, oh man, it's coming out of the chimney yeah look, it's not that and and you, you you've sort of hit the nail on the head as well it's gone through the drought the plants are stressed so they start to get this pest and disease now you can get rid of sooty mold uh, you need yeah. to get a product called copper oxychloride it's a, it's a fungicide and you'll need to spray that all over the the leaves of the tree if you can uh, how that's why i was sort of thinking it might be best to give it a, a cut back a prune and then give it a spray because you just you know sometimes you just physically can't get to the top of the plant to yeah. give it a good spray yeah, it probably stands about um the tree itself probably stands about two to two and a half meters in height oh okay so with a ladder you, you could give that a, a fairly good spray so well, you i need... had this vision of having to wipe every leaf with a bit of cloth <laughs> oh man that's labour intensity. No, no, no. That, 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 yeah, that's going a little bit too far. A spray <laughs> will do it. Now, what you also need to do is get rid of the, the uh, scale insect as well. So it's a this two-pronged, two-limbed approach that you have to do. Uh, to yeah. get rid of the scale, you have to use, you know, white oil, uh, white oil yep. and malathon yep. mixed together. You can do that as well. Uh, so you do that, uh, spray, get rid of the scale. Uh, you know, then a day or two days later, then you spray for the uh, with the copper oxychloride to get rid of the the sooty mould, and then you repeat the whole process. I heard you mention malathion earlier. Is that like um, is that kill bugs or something? Yeah, malathion's an insecticide, and because the scale is an insect, uh, you do need to to get rid of it with an insecticide of some type. Some people say you can just use uh, you know white oil and it chokes it up and it can't breathe anymore and it just dies. Uh, yeah. But you know, I, I think you probably just need to get some insecticide in there as well. The white oil takes that insecticide in through the waxy uh, shell of the scale and kills it in in there. Uh, and then you need to do that whole process uh, again in two weeks' time just to get it all under control. Yeah, so it's 
okay, so it's malathion mixed with white oil. That's correct. And um, copper oxychloride, which is a fungicide. And you can get these from most places, okay? Yeah, look, any um, garden centre will be able to sell you those things and give you some advice on the uh, mixing and use of them as well. Okay, copper oxychloride, malathion. And white oil. White oil. Yeah. I'm just writing this down because one thing worse than my gardening is my memory. Uh, <laughs> you're doing all right. All you're right. doing all right. <laughs> All right, mate, look, I much appreciate that. Okay, thanks for the call, Glenn. Appreciate Thank it. You, Have a good day. Okay, bye-bye. So we've got Julie from... No, we've got Bruce from Fennel Bay, and he's got a question about passion fruit. Afternoon, Bruce. How can we help you? Hi, Scott. Uh, look, I've got. I've had a passion fruit in the ground. It's been there about three years now. This is the first year that I've got fruit on it. Uh, it's got a, probably a dozen or more uh, passion fruits on it, but it's looking a bit seedy. The... the the tree doesn't. Uh, the uh, the vine is the yellow. The leaves are fairly yellow, and uh, I've recently put a bit of sulphate of ammonia on about four or five weeks ago. I suppose I was told to do that. Whether it was right or not, wrong, I don't know. Uh, you got any tips for me? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about the sulphate of ammonia one. That sounds a, a touch unusual. I'd be giving it a more rounded um, fertilise if. I were you. Uh, they also like cow manure, so you could certainly give it some cow manure uh, uh-huh. spread around the, the root ball. Uh, I would be more inclined, though, to go and uh, get, for instance, a uh, you know, f- flowering fruit and vegetable, uh, you know, dynamic lifter, one of those sort of uh, fertilizers to sprinkle around and give it, you know, just a, a more all round fertilizer because oh. you want it to be fruiting and flowering. Uh, you don't necessarily want to be promoting heaps and heaps of green leaf growth on there. Uh, so, no. yeah, I, I think uh, getting one of those all-purpose fertilisers is going to be the way to go for you. I did put some uh, uh, blood and bone earlier on. Yes. And uh, I did. I have built the soil up around it a bit with uh, stable, stable sweepings, but that was horse, not cow, yeah. Uh, right, okay. So uh, a lot of nitrogen in uh, horse manure, so that's going to promote a lot of the green leafy growth for you. So I think you need to steer clear of doing that now okay. and uh, go and grab, uh, you know, one of those fertilisers, uh, you know, for fruiting and flowering. That, that's going to be the best way. You can also use liquid fertiliser as well and uh, water it around. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, use, I do use a bit of that. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, yeah, but I'd steer clear of the horse manure now for a little while. Okay, mate. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Thanks a lot, bye. Thanks, Bruce. And we've got Julie now from Newcastle, and she's got something about fruit bats. Julie, what can you tell us about the fruit bats? Oh, hi, Scott. How are you? Yeah, very well. I don't know if this sounds very trivial or not, and I just always listen to your program. And when the gentleman was talking about how the bats rip open the netting mm. that he puts over the trees, etc., and also suggested that they come up from underneath, I know this sounds a bit unusual, but it reminded me of when um, my mama had um, chooks um, when she had a property, and the foxes, they used to do everything to try and keep the foxes out, and it was always very difficult. So... Um, they ended up um, encouping the whole the whole run in um, chook wire. You know that chook wire? Yes, you yeah. Actually, you could actually put that four post around the tree if you were that keen and, and put it to the ground and still cut a door into it and and the with the wire because the wire is 
you know, open and close, and um, you just tie it up. And and there's no way the bats could get into that at all. Yeah, and look, you could also have a you know a, a sort of a conglomeration as well. We could have a little fence of chicken wire around the base, and then you could tie your proper netting to that and uh, try and keep them out. Yeah, look, they um, they're lovely, funny little creatures, and they're always very cute. <laughs> but uh, yes, they they do do some damage. So uh, if you can just keep them out in a passive way, a very good thing to do. Yes. And chicken wire is not expensive. Well, it never used to be. I don't know now. but um, And it would work because it would be like in its own little protection box and you'd be able to get in and out as you chose. Anyway, I just it was just a thought. Hmm. Okay, appreciate the call. Thank you very much for that, uh, that tip, Julie. My pleasure. Okay, okay. Bye. thanks. Bye-bye. I'm picturing like a, a chicken wire igloo or something or a, or a teepee. Yeah, well, I, I was picturing a little fence of chicken wire around it and then you have your netting because it's easier to drape over the tree and then oh, you sort of yeah. tie that on there, but it stops the bat from getting you know, underneath. underneath the right, that makes more up, sense yeah. than building a whole roof with chicken wire. Yeah, I think yours, yours is getting uh, foundations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> bring people in. Yep. Scott Sharp, before we do go for another day, almost up, We've got, still got a couple more minutes. Oh, we do? I do have a question about chilli plants. Yes. Both of my plants aren't making any fruit at the moment. Ooh. That's it's a... been a while since I haven't done it. And how old are the plants? Oh, they'll be three years old. Three years old. That's not very old, you know. Um, chilies have actually been around since about 7,500 BC in ancient gardens. Ancient garden, right. Yes. Yeah, they have been around in ancient gardens for quite some time. They're actually one of the oldest cultivated crops in the, uh, in the South Americas. Really? Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah. A very ancient garden indeed. Not as ancient as yours, though. Three years. No, three years. Yes, it's been a while. So I'm thinking, do I have to do anything? Or Yeah, look, I'd probably give it a fertilise uh, with some sulphate of potash to see if it uh, comes good for you this year. But yep. then people do say that chilies eventually have a lifespan and three to four years is probably getting towards it. So it might be best to go and buy a couple of fresh ones. Yep. Keep on working and massaging yours to see if you can get it, yep. get it alive again and uh, fruiting for you. Uh, and see how you go. Right, yeah. Because I've trimmed it back. I've been good. No, you know that you've done the right things. I, I think the sulfate of potash is the way to go for it and a couple of new ones just to make sure. Right, yeah. Yep. I can do that. Yeah. If they could do it seven and a half thousand years ago in an ancient garden, you can as well. Surely you'd think I could. I hope you can. Find it. Scott Sharp, thank you very much. And um, anything else you want to mention before you go? Well, I, I was actually very quickly going to talk about calendula flowers. I really like them. Uh, they're really easy to grow. You get those uh, orange and yellow colours in them with the sort of the dark uh, centre of yep. the flower. Uh, the other thing you get there, look, you're easy to sow them. You can use them as companion planting. I didn't realise this, but you can actually use them in rice or potato dishes to give a little bit of that orange colour, just oh, to brighten right. up your plate. There you go. I might, that's something to try. Yeah, I, I think I might give it a try as well. And maybe we might talk about calendars in a little bit more detail next, next week. Next week. Yes. And possibly fennel as well. Yes, I think we'll go into that as well. Because we're really looking forward to talking about fennel. My mouth was watering. But sadly, we're out of time. Okay. Scott Sharp, thank you very much. We'll speak to you again next week. See you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.